Hello, and welcome back to the Growth Circle Podcast. This is Lincoln, and today I'm going to be going over real estate wholesaling, how it works, what it is, and a step-by-step approach of how you could do your first wholesale deal. Wholesaling is what got me started into real estate just over four years ago and have learned a lot during the process of doing deals and getting into other parts of real estate. So I wanted to dive into what exactly is it and and yeah, how could you do a deal if you're interested in starting or if you're just curious on what it is, you've been hearing a lot about it, uh, some information on exactly how it works, the process of it. So the technical definition or a technical definition for wholesaling real estate It's a strategy in which a person obtains a contract on a property with its seller and in turn sells the contract to an investor. So essentially you are reaching out to a homeowner, somebody that owns any sort of property. It could be single family. It could be anything. And you are negotiating, getting that property under contract. And then you're taking that contract, that purchase agreement, and you are selling that to another investor, somebody else, to then take your place in that contract, essentially, and buy the house for you. Or buy not the house for you, but buy the house in your place. Now, they are going to be buying it, and you are going to get a commission, an assignment fee in between. That's the basic process of it. And there's a few different ways you can go about closing that. But, but A to Z, you are finding a deal getting it under contract with a person. This is not a house that's listed, not on the MLS, the market, but directly from that homeowner, you're getting it under contract, writing that purchase agreement, and then you are going to a group of investors, some cash buyers, whoever it might be, and then selling that property, right? You're marking it up, whatever uh, amount you are, are trying to make on a wholesale fee, and you are now selling that property that you have under contract for them to buy and to close on. That's the basic process. So if you think of wholesaling in anything, right, you're the middleman. You can have wholesaling in, in distribution and products. Wholesaling is somebody that is, is essentially in the middle. They are in between the origination of whatever product, in this case a house, and then the end buyer. So we are just connecting these homeowners, these property sellers with a cash buyer. Now, the amount that you are specifying and how this transaction is going to go about is is kind of up to you. Um, if you want to tell the homeowner from the very beginning, hey, this is my goal. I'm going to be bringing another buyer to purchase it, but you're still going to get the exact amount I offer. A lot of people are going to be okay with that. You can You can tell them the whole process or you can be the middleman and that seller or that buyer even may not know you're wholesaling a property, but yet you are facilitating that transaction. So a lot of different ways you can go about it as far as, uh, you know, there's a lot of room for doing it the way you'd like to do it. But that is the, the basics of wholesaling. And at the end of the day, what you are doing, maybe as a wholesaler or a person that is, uh, facilitating this transaction is you are sourcing off-market deals. That's the primary objective of somebody doing this is they're sourcing deals that are not currently listed for sale and they are taking that property now that they got under contract and they are selling it to an end buyer who is generally an investor, generally because of the way that we 
try and get these deals the low price. You're selling it to an end investor who didn't have to go and do the marketing, didn't have to go and talk to homeowners, didn't have to get a house under contract in the first place. They're just coming to you. You have this great deal. They take that deal, they buy it themselves, and they fix it up, flip it, rent it, whatever the case is. So the primary objective of a wholesaler is generally to source off-market deals, and that is the value that is provided. So just like in anything, uh, wholesalers can get a bad rap because there is not a lot of regulation, restriction around the process. Anybody can wholesale. Anybody can get a house under contract. I believe you have to be 18, depending on maybe states and such. But you can get a house under contract, and, and that can be as simple as writing a property address, sale price, and signatures on a piece of paper, a napkin, right? And taking that to the title company or a full-fledged, you know, state-approved legal contract, one that you drafted up, one from an attorney. It doesn't necessarily matter the, the means by which you're getting it under contract, but it's essentially taking that and taking it to closing. So because there's not a lot of restriction regulation, people abuse it. You don't have to be as forthcoming in all of the information about a property with a buyer. You uh, can get away with a lot of things that realtors or people that have their licenses cannot. And, and that's not to say uh, in these other industries, other, these other fields, you couldn't try and get away with things, but there's a lot less of a box that you fit in as a wholesaler or as somebody who is doing these types of deals. Now, just like in any business, if you are doing it inappropriately and you're not disclosing things you need to disclose to these end buyers and they find out later, or you're getting properties with sellers under contract and you're backing out because you couldn't find somebody to purchase it. If you're doing these types of things in wholesaling, then you're not going to last very long because real estate is a very network-based, relationship-based business. And to have repeat business with people, to build a brand that people trust, you have to be honest in every interaction and close on your deals. And that's the way you're going to be able to grow a business. So there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And so inherently, it's not bad by any means. You provide a lot of value to these sellers and buyers, but you do have to go about it correctly and, and establish a real brand and company for who you want to be when doing this. So there's definitely good and bad ways to go about it. But at the end of the day, it is a niche within real estate that has been largely untapped for, for a long time. Now it's gotten a lot more popular in the last, I'd say, five years especially. I mean, I got into it myself four years ago. And because of that, it's a lot more crowded, a lot more people in it now. But the great thing with real estate is there are so many options. When you get a good deal under contract, you can wholesale it, right? You can close on it yourself to fix it up and flip it, to keep it as a rental. You can do creative financing with these deals to purchase it over a longer period of time from the seller directly and, and a variety of others. So there's a lot of flexibility there when you get a good deal. And that's the essence of wholesaling is finding good off-market deals, deals that cannot be found on the MLS nowadays and haven't been able to for years because of the seller's market that we're in. Things are just flying off the shelf. People can list things for much higher prices than they used to. So we're going out and trying to find those deals where we can. So let's break down the process of, of how it works. 
And the biggest thing, if you're getting into wholesaling and you're wanting to real and figure out how do I do a deal here, you're going to have to mentally see the process A to Z, like in anything. Now, it doesn't mean you need to perfectly know every step and master it all before entering and doing a deal, but you at least want to have a good understanding from the very beginning when we start to the closing table when I get my check and I've made my money, what is that going to look like? And so you need to figure that out. And I'm going to break down these steps that you'll need to take in the entirety of the deal. And so the first one is going to be advertise. You got to get your name out. You got to advertise that you are wanting to buy a house, that you are looking to buy a fixer upper, a house that needs work generally. Now you can buy any sort of property, but we're looking for specifically houses that we can get a large discount on. And oftentimes those are going to be the ones that need a lot of work. And people are willing to let those go for less than a house that's fully remodeled and everybody would buy it. So we need to advertise, we need to market and get our name out there. And I'll break down some different ways that you can do that. But it's letting anybody and everybody know that I've buy houses, that I'd like to purchase a property so you can start getting people coming to you for, with their property to, to purchase and to sell. The second, so we have advertise. The second is going to be analyze. You got to analyze the deal and know how to do that properly. What does that consist of? That consists of how do I compare this property to others in the area that have sold recently to find a proper after repair value, an ARV. So you got to be able to figure out what's this property going to be worth when it's fully fixed up, and then how do I break that down to the point of an offer? So you are comparing it to local properties. You are figuring out the rehab cost associated with this house. What's it going to cost to fix up? You're running your numbers down the list, and I'll go into that more. The third thing is offer. So you're going to approach that seller that they brought you their house or you found it, you've analyzed the deal, now you're going to make that offer, cash offer generally for wholesale deals. That way it's appealing. And then the fourth thing is get it under contract. Sign that purchase agreement with that seller. And then your next step, once it's under contract, number five is going to be to go and wholesale it, to sell that property, to find a buyer who's willing to purchase it from you for higher, for more than you got it under contract for, and then six is going to be close. Close on that property, add a title company, and pay off the seller. You make your commission, your assignment fee, your check, and then the end buyer purchases. So those are the steps. Advertise, analyze, offer, contract, wholesale, and close. And if you can wrap your mind around that step-by-step -step and have a good understanding and uh be somewhat comfortable with what that would look like, then you're ready to go. And let's dive into those a little bit more. Now, as far as the closing goes, I wanted to touch on that and, and how the contracts work a little bit. So you're getting a property under contract, purchase agreement, right, of some sort. And there's two ways you can go to, to sell this property. One is the standard method that most people do when wholesaling. And that is an assignment of contract. A contract assignment where instead of a another purchase agreement, all you're, all you're doing is taking a, an agreement between you and the buyer that you are assigning them, that you are attaching them to your original contract. And so if I'm buying a property from, from Mary, 
and I'm selling it to John. I'm going to attach John to the contract that Mary and I have by assigning it to him. It's a pretty standard, generally one, two page document that says you are agreeing to carry out and to fulfill this contract that I, Lincoln, am currently in. You are going to be carrying that out with all the terms that we have agreed upon, but at this higher price. Well, the, the price stays the same, but you add in this assignment contract your our assignment fee. So Lincoln, in this case, my assignment fee is specified on that contract. And so that could be any amount that I can manage, any amount that I can mark that property up. So that's going to be sometimes 5,000, sometimes 10,000, sometimes 20 to 50,000. It, it all depends. There's no limit or minimum on it. And it's all what you can manage and what makes sense for that deal. I'd say if you're getting started and you're wanting a good place to mark up your deals, a good profit to shoot for, 10,000 is a, is a good place. It's going to depend on your market. Where I'm at here in southwest Missouri, the average sale price of a home is around a quarter million, 250,000. So 10 to 11, 12,000 is pretty standard for us on a single family wholesale deal. Now, if you're in a market where the properties are much more than that, you might shoot for a higher commission, a higher assignment fee uh, for that wholesale, but 10,000 is a good place. So you mark it up, you assign it. That's the first option where you assign that contract. They are now taking your place and essentially you would show up to closing and do nothing but get a check. You wouldn't sign any paperwork because you are out of the deal. You have assigned your end buyer to the original seller's contract and you're just going to collect a, an assignment fee. The second option is a double close. A double close is, is almost even closer to a flip, but a flip in which you are not doing any work whatsoever contractually. So you're still getting that first purchase agreement, that first contract with the seller. And then the second is going to be your contract to sell. It's going to look, it could look very identical to that first contract you used, but now you're just going to sell the property instead of assign it. So it would be Mary sells property to Lincoln, and then second contract, Lincoln sells property to John. And so you have two contracts in place, one where I'm buying and then one where I'm selling. And so at closing, instead of just collecting an assignment fee, you're out of the contract. At closing, in this case, you are going to sign to purchase it. You are going to sign to sell it. It's a double close. And so what this allows you to do is, is a couple of things. One, you're able to control it a little bit better. Instead of John seeing your contract, what you got the property for, all of the details, all he knows is that you are selling it to him directly. He may not know anything about you getting it under contract from somebody else. He's just buying it from you. So a lot of what it provides is a little bit more security, a little bit more a little bit more closed off from the different parties involved. And the main benefit to it, I would say, is John, your end buyer in this example, he does not know what you got it under contract for. So he doesn't know the profit you're making. With an assignment, he can see exactly what you're making. He knows how much you're marking it up. With a double close, he's not going to be able to tell. He just knows what he's buying it for. So that's actually what I use myself. I've done a few assignments early on, but I switched pretty quickly to a double close. There's also some tax implications and it's taxed a little bit differently, 
But to me, I found the double close to be more advantageous. Um, the one thing is with an assignment, you don't have to pay any closing cost because your end buyer is going to be, be doing all of the closing himself. You're not involved in that versus a double close. You are paying some more holding closing cost. Um, that's generally going to be 500 to a thousand dollars, nothing too crazy, but it is going to be something that comes out when you do it that way. So those are a couple different ways that you can close a wholesale deal contract. Now, when you, when you're getting into contracts, you can get those in a variety of different ways, but, um, that's something you'd want to have ready ahead of time before you get your first deal under contract is, is have something that you can use. If somebody said, yep, I will accept your offer, write it up. You want to be ready. You don't want to be scrambling, you know, for hours or days to get that. So you can get that online. You can get that through legal zoom through an attorney, depending on how in depth you want to go with it. Like I said, writing on a napkin and having a purchase price, a, an address and some signatures is all you technically need to make it happen. Now, do I recommend that? No, definitely not legal advice there, but it doesn't have to be anything glamorous, doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just something that's going to protect you and your seller for this purchase and something that's clear. So you can get that online in a variety of ways, but I would start by having that ready as well as a title company in mind. We're going through a title company because they are going to be doing a search on the property for us to see if there's any liens, any judgments, if they're preparing what are the taxes owed, and they're, they're going about it in a in the proper way so that everything is done above board and it's going to have a sense of security for your seller and buyer as well when you go through a title company so that's definitely a non-negotiable is going through that so have one in mind find a good one in your local market that is investor friendly that understands what you're doing with wholesaling because not every title company is going to understand this wholesale process not every title company is willing to do a double close so you want to find one that is, is willing to work with you, have those conversations, see what's going to be the best fit, but have a title company in mind and then have some buyers ready. That is the, that is going to be the ideal is having some people at least in mind that you could take a good deal to when you get it under contract, who could I sell this to? Who's going to be looking for a deal with great equity, but it needs rehab. When I first, when I got my first wholesale deal under contract, I had four or five people on my buyers list. It was very, very small list and sent out that first deal to them. Nobody wanted it. So I was scrambling a little bit and I decided, you know, I'm going to put it on Facebook marketplace. And honestly, ended up being a pretty good move as I had a lot of new people I got connected with and was able to sell it on there. Now that's not the recommended strategy as your seller could potentially see you listing it on online, which would not be a great setup scenario, but it's an option, right? So ideally you're going to have some buyers ahead of time or know another investor, another wholesaler who would have buyers that you could take your deal to. So this is going to be a big benefit when you have that deal. Hopefully you can sell it quickly rather than having to close on the property. And that's the, the next thing I would say in preparation is have the means to close on the deal, right? If you are entering into an agreement with a seller, you've told them, you know, Mr. Or Mrs. Seller, I am willing to buy this property at this price. Here's my closing date. You need to have the expectation every single time that you are willing to close on that property. This is another reason wholesalers can get a bad rap and, and look down upon is because you can put these escape clauses in your contract 
that allow you to get out of it if you can't find a buyer. But what's that going to do? That's going to frustrate the seller who thought that they were going to be able to sell this property and made plans and all of these things. And it gets a bad name for you in the business and real estate if people are seeing you back out of these deals, not close and follow through. So always intend to close on your property when you on a property when you have it under contract. So have the means to do that. If that means you need to have $15,000 for this fire burned house, have that ready. Or if it means $500,000 for this very nice house, you need, to, you need to have the means to close on it every single time. So have a private lender, a hard money investor, a bank that has pre-approved you if you find a good deal to close on it. So that will keep you ideally is in getting only good deals under contract instead of just anything that comes along and trying to sell it. And so those are the things. Have a contract ready. Have a title company in mind. Have some buyers ready to purchase and then have money to close on the deal. Those are all things I would say have in preparation for getting into your first deal. Now let's get into marketing and and how you could go about finding these homes, finding these great deals. So there's going to be a couple different types of marketing. One is outbound and one is inbound. So outbound consists of you reaching out to homeowners specifically and trying to get these deals under contract, showing them the benefit of selling with you. That's going to be your cold calling, going up and door knocking, sending direct mail, texting, all different methods uh, that you are specifically going and talking to these sellers. And the second is going to be inbound, right? And that is going to be your online ads, referrals from other people bringing you deals. It's going to be billboards, TV ads, radio, all the things where people are hearing and just coming to you saying, hey, I want to sell my house versus you going to those people and saying, hey, I want to offer on your house. Would you sell it? So those are the two types, inbound and outbound. The main distinguisher here, or one of them is, that outbound is going to be a lot more cost effective, a lot cheaper to get into than inbound. Inbound, where they're coming to you, it's it's nice, right? Because they're they're bringing their interest directly forward, and often you don't have to go through near as many of those leads as as you do with the other because they already have that motivation, right? They have that interest. So if they're bringing you a deal, that's going to cost more, right? To put it online, to have these billboards, to to have this type of advertising versus you being able to go and buy a phone number on one, two, three main street that you saw could be a good deal. You go skip, trace it, find that person, find their phone number for 15 cents. And then you can call them as many times as you want. And then you can text them. You can, you can go and knock on the door. That's free. There's different services involved to do these effectively and in quantity. Uh, like a an auto dialer that's allowing you to call multiple numbers at once, skip tracing services. If you buy a lot of numbers in bulk, that can cost money. If you're using programs to text people out, or of course, direct mail where you're spending 50 cents a mailer, it's going to cost you some money, but it's going to be a lot more cost effective than doing the inbound. But there's a benefit, right? And, and, the, and the distinguisher here is time. You're going to spend a lot more time on the cheaper option of outbound. And I do think there's a place for that. And less time on the inbound, but it's going to cost you more. So that's, that's the ratio of do you want to spend more and have these leads come in? 
or would you do you have the time and are you willing to put in the time to have these leads come in so that's going to be the difference between those types of marketing so you just have to choose what works best for you at this point we have a nice we have a balanced approach where it's some of each and you just grow into those different types of marketing as you have the budget for it but figure out how you want to market and the practical application of this no matter what way your marketing is consistency and follow-ups they say fortune is in the follow-up and that is absolutely true when it comes to wholesaling real estate to finding off market deals is you've got to be consistent you've got to be calling again and again and again most of our deals come from the people that we've reached out to five or more times oftentimes you're not going to call somebody offer this discounted price on their property and get it under contract right away because people just aren't in that position. But often, if you call them again and again and again, you build that credibility, you build that rapport, you show the value you can provide, and then the right place, right time for, for that person to sell, that's oftentimes when you get those deals. So the follow-up is going to be key. And that's not a bad thing. It's not something that is is a negative for getting into wholesaling or into to buying off-market deals. It's actually a positive because that means you're going to be getting deals that other people can't because most people are not willing to put in the time and effort to do the follow-up, to call people again and again and get yelled at and told no. But you can be the one to step in and say, yes, I'm going to do that over and over to get the good deals. And so it just divides those that would like to be in the business from those that really are and those that are really doing deals. And that's why it's a good thing that it takes follow-up and it takes consistency. So just know that going in um, that you need to have some sort of CRM, which is essentially a, a system, a database for all of your leads that you're going to be able to store them. And, you know, I talked to so-and-so on this date. We talked about this. This is their interest level. And then here's my follow-up. This is what I'm going to say next time. So you need to have some sort of CRM. I use Podio. You've got Salesforce as a large one. There's different ones that you can use to set up and to get into that follow-up. And then another part of this marketing is find a target market. Try and narrow down as much as you can a radius of where you're looking to buy, who you are looking to buy from. So these are going to be people with a variety of motivations from financial distress to they have vacant properties to an, a landlord who may be getting older and needs to sell. Right, you want to find your target market and, and reach out to them specifically again and again. Because one, you're going to be able to help and provide value to these people more when you genuinely know their situations and you've dealt with it again and again. But when in, in any sort of marketing, it's beneficial to narrow it down and pinpoint rather than spray and pray approach of just letting anybody and everybody know that this is what you're looking to do. Should you be doing that? Yes, but it's going to be a lot more costly if you keep your audience very large versus narrowing it down and making it specific. So find a target market, follow up, be consistent. Now, as far as analyzing the deal, there's a, there's a formula that we use and a formula that most use to make an offer on a property. And this is going to shift a little bit depending on the deal, depending on your market, but Generally, it goes like this. You find your after repair value, your ARV, and that's done by looking at comparables in the area. What are things selling for? If this was fully fixed up, not in its current condition, but after repaired, what is the value on this property? And then you're going to take 
off a percentage, you're going to take generally 75% of that. So if this ARV is 100,000, 75% of that leaves me at 75K now. And the reason we do that is we want to leave a 25% margin for the end buyer, for the investor. And that's not a set number, but that's a good average number depending on the market. So that way the investor has 25% so they can go and sell this property and flip it and make a profit, or they can go and refinance it to keep it as a rental and have that room. Now, if the deal is in a real bad area or it's a really rough condition, you might knock that down even lower to 70% or 65% of the after repair value so that they have an even larger margin. Or if it's a really great deal in a great area that doesn't need much work, you can squeeze that margin a bit, get it up to maybe 80%, sometimes 85%, and then sell that deal that away. So it all depends on, on the property, but generally you're going to take your after repair, after repair value, 75% of that, and then you're going to subtract your repairs, what the property needs to be fixed up to get to that full value. So what you're going to do there is, is break it down, figure out what is this property in need of. Anything from the roof to the floor to the paint, the kitchen, the bath, the HVAC, all of it. Add it up, subtract it. So in this example, let's say this house needs 15000 75000 minus 15 puts you at 60 Okay, and then the last piece here is going to be your wholesale fee. What is the fee that you're looking to charge, the commission, the profit that you're looking to make on this deal? Let's say 10000 So you have your 60000 minus 10 leaves you at 50000 So let's break it down again. $100,000 after repair value, once it's fixed up, 75% of that, you're at 75K. Minus rehab, so now you're at 60. Minus your wholesale fee, now you're at 50. And that is your MAO, your max allowable offer. And that is how you break down the deal. So you can do this at any price point property, but that is going to be the general formula you follow is is that step-by-step. Step. And as far as running comps, figuring out what that after repair value is, a good way to go about it is going to be to look, again, depending on your location, how many houses are there within a half a mile radius, how many houses are there that I can find that have similar beds, baths, square footage, year built, and a similar style. Those are going to be the metrics you want to look at for comparables. The beds and baths being the most important, Ideally, if it's a three-bed, two-bath, you're going to find another three-bed, two-baths. With square footage, I like to keep the range within about 300 square feet less or 300 square feet more than my property to look for houses just in that range. And then year built, you don't want to be looking at a property built in 1910 and comparing it to a house that was built in 2000, right? You're going to need to adjust for that. So try and keep the year built to around the same 30, 40 years. And then the style. If you've got a nice brick house that is two-story, right? It's got a it's got a nice look to it versus a very plain single-story sided house, vinyl-sided house that doesn't have uh, quite the same look. It's just not going to be the same. So you got to do some adjustment for that. Try and find properties that have a similar style. And the goal is to get three of these comparables. Now, if you can find five, seven, ten, great. But 
find three that are very similar to your property, average out that square footage and the purchase price that they sold for to find the average price per square foot and then multiply that price per square foot by the square footage on your property that you're looking to comp to find your after repair value. So if we've got these three properties, one sold for 110 a foot, one sold for 120, one sold for 130 a foot, we know our average is $120 per square foot. Now I can multiply that by my house that has 1,000 square feet. I'm at $120,000 in value. So that's going to be your method for running comps to find the after repair value. You can do that. You can find these properties by looking on uh, really the, the easiest way is going to be looking on Zillow. And depending on the market, it'll share the sale price of that property. It will give you the details on bed, bath, square footage. And you can just search in half a mile radius of these types of properties that sold. You can get different softwares like PropStream as well that we use to run comps if you have access to the MLS, an even better tool, the most exact data. But find a website, find a source that you can run those comparables, find properties that have sold. And I've already gone into this a little bit, but you want to make sure you're getting the property proper equity percentage. So 25% equity uh, is going to be a good place to start, right? 75% of ARV, but that can be a little bit less if it's a great deal in a good neighborhood that doesn't need much work. Why? Because you're going to have more people willing to buy that kind of a deal. If you have a three-bed, two-bath that just needs paint and flooring like everybody wants, you can probably sell that with just a 20% margin or maybe even 15% margin instead of needing a larger margin for a house that needs a full gut and remodel because why? You have less people looking to buy that. It's not to say that there aren't people because that can be a great deal, but that's the reason you need more or less margin is the demand for that type of property. And then again, you put in your profit percentage. If you are like, hey, I'm fine with 2000, go for 2000. I would recommend creating more margin than that so that if people are negotiating on these properties, you're not negative right off the bat. So if you wanna make 2000, start at 8000 up. Or if you wanna make 10,000, start asking 15,000 up and so on and so forth. But find that amount of profit that makes sense for each deal. Now. When it comes to running repair estimates, I've got a few um, different recommendations there. And because this can be one of the more difficult parts of, of analyzing your, your numbers and running the deal, but a good source uh, for understanding rehab cost is going to be the book on estimating repair costs by Jay Scott of Bigger Pockets. Read that book, it gives a good solid breakdown of every single category electrical, plumbing, flooring, paint, roof, HVAC siding, soffit, fascia, all of that. If you need to know what's that going to cost, that's a great book. The book on estimating repair cost. And then even Google is a great resource. Resource. If you just need to type in a question on any sort of thing that you know needs replaced, what's this going to cost, here's the square footage, then it, it's going to be a great resource to tell you what that's going to cost. And then itemize each item is what I'd recommend. Some people will give an average price per square foot of, well, this is going to be, you know, if it's a thousand square feet, it's going to cost, you know, 30 cents a square foot to remodel. That's fine, but it's a little too broad uh, for what we're looking to do. If we have a $10,000 profit window, 
and you're off by just a little bit because of your rehab, there goes your profit and, and you could be stuck with this with a bad deal. So itemize each item out. Um, we've got a bid sheet that we use for every single thing a house could need. We mark it up to see everything this house possibly could use to figure out your rehab amount. Be a little bit more generous on the rehab than trying to cut it as tight as possible because likely the investors you're going to want to sell to are going to have more room built in on their rehabs and they're going to want more room uh, in case things come up because they always do. So be generous on your rehab and make sure you give enough there. And so that's going to be the step-by-step process in analyzing your deal. Making your offer, there's a great book called Never Split the Difference that I'd recommend for negotiating, for talking to people. And this is essentially you just talking to that seller and bringing in your offer. Always start in a place below where you can actually be. If you found that $50,000 max allowable offer, like in the example we gave, don't start there. Start at 40 and or lower or depending on the situation. I always like to start with a number that's a little bit more broad sounding. So in this example, I would maybe say $40,000 um, depending on because I have room to move, right? And then the closer and closer you get to your max, make it more and more specific. So maybe they they counter, I come back at, at 43,000, right? Instead of that rounded 40 or 45, come back at 43. And then maybe for my final offer, I come in at 48,5 or 48,530 because you're making it more and more specific, which shows that seller, okay, he's really dialing in his numbers. This is where he can be. So start broad or with a little bit more rounded number. Make sure you have room to come up to your max. So that's going to be making the offer and then get that property under contract, right? Take that contract that you have, make sure you've read it, make sure you understand what this contract says. You're not just taking this blindly in there and hoping they sign it. Make sure you read it, understand. You can walk them through what this is saying. If they have questions, we want to be as transparent as possible and letting them know. So get that property under contract. And then you're going to go and take it to the title company, right? Set that out. Generally, when it comes to, to these closings, you're going to want to push them out about 30 days or less. Why that timeline? Because these types of sellers that are going to sell us this house at a discount want the convenience. They are they're going to wholesalers and to somebody like yourself because of the convenience factor, right? If they wanted the max, absolute most they could get for their house, they would have taken it to the open market and let it sit there and talk to a realtor and gone about it that way. But because they're selling it to you directly at this price, they're going to want the convenience of a quick closing and they're going to want verified assured funds that are going to come in, right? It's they're buying, you're buying it as is you're paying their closing cost, right? So this is something I would definitely recommend is you pay for their closing cost. It's generally 500 to a thousand dollars, nothing too crazy. And you're providing that convenience, no appraisals, no inspections. So 30 days, is going to be the timeline that you want to be in, usually at the most. Now, if they need more time, great, give it to them. But as soon as, as two weeks is ideal, right, to give them that option. So get those properties under contract, deliver the contract to the title company. So now you've given yourself 15 to say 30 days to sell that property. So you want to, you're going to want to go out and do the best marketing you can do, right? You don't want to just send out one email send out an email to some of your buyers and hope that they click on it, see this amazing deal and come to you, right? That can happen. 
but oftentimes you're going to need to go to these buyers and start marketing it to sell this deal, to break down the numbers. Here's where you're buying it. Here's the profit you can make. Here's why it's better to flip this one. Or I know you like to do rentals. This is why I think it could be a great rental property. You're going and you're selling that property to these end buyers. So go out, sell it, and either assign that property, sign that seller, or sign that buyer to that, to that original contract, or do a separate contract to double close if your title company will allow that. So you're going out selling the property. We are in a seller's market still currently. Things have shifted a little bit in the last year or so, but it's still generally going to be easier to sell that deal if it's a genuine good deal where the numbers make sense than to find it. So a lot of your time and energy is going to come in on getting the deal, and then hopefully the selling should be the easier part of this, the, the two sides here. But never just assume it's going to sell itself. You're still going to have to, to hit, hit it hard and, and go after it to sell these properties and then you're closing. So make sure you have good, good communication all throughout the process with your seller. Hey, this is what I can offer you. This is why we are different than realtors and, and you listing it on the open market. So provide that value, show them what you're willing to do, communicate when you get the contract, when you get the contract and you take it to the, to the title company, hey, this is who we're working with, this is the person of the title company you can call for any questions, uh, you know, I'll see you in 30 days, call them once a week to make sure that they're ready, things are moving as, as needed, and then communicate with your buyer. Hey, this is what's happening. Hey, I have this property under contract with somebody just to, want, just to let you know. You don't have to tell them the exact details or the amount, but I think transparency is the best policy when it comes to wholesaling, when it comes to doing these deals. You're going to meet up at the title company. They're going to give you documents to sign, or you're going to collect your assignment fee, and then that's going to be the end of the closing. Follow up with that seller. Say thank you for, for selling me this property. Do you have any others? Feel free to share our name and and leave it like that. And then the same thing with the buyer, right? So that they come back and buy more and more properties from you. And so to do it correctly, wholesaling, it's not the most complex, crazy, difficult business in the world, right? It's finding an off-market deal, getting it under contract, and selling it to a buyer. It doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, right? Because there's, there's a lot of steps in the process to do it well and to do it over and over again, but it's very doable. And it's the reason I love wholesaling specifically and, and finding these off-market deals is because it gives me a good pulse on the local market, knowing from the ground floor, from talking to homeowners, from selling to investors, what is the market doing, right? Is it, is it really hard to find deals right now, but they're flying off the shelf, or are we starting to be able to, to get these deals a little bit more frequently, but buyers are backing out because the market's tightening up, right? It gives you a good pulse on that market. And I get to pick the very best deals for myself first. We do flips and rental properties as well as wholesale. And it gives me a first look at all of these deals coming through that I know I could not find on the open market. So I get to take a look at these deals, get them under contract for myself. And the thing is, if you're doing it correctly and you've added your wholesale fee so instead of that 25% margin on this deal that somebody else would get you've got an extra 10 grand in room so maybe you've got an you've got 35% margin on it so oftentimes you're going to be in a really good position to take deals down yourself for a large flip margin or rental equity and so i really like that aspect of of wholesaling as well and it can go as large as you want you can deal with $15,000 fire burn cheap houses and make 10 grand on it or you can deal with 
in, in, in that same deal, you could sell and make 40 grand, right? Again, there's no limit. Or you can deal with a 12-unit apartment, a 50-unit apartment, a large commercial warehouse, right? Packages of single-family houses. There's no limit to what types of deals you can do with wholesaling. And that's the great thing is you are just getting houses, properties under contract, selling them for more, finding good deals. And I think it's a great way to get into real estate because while you should have money ready to go in case you need to purchase this property, it does not require any money to operate this. You don't have to bring any money to closing, none of that. You immediately get paid once that deal closes if you have found that buyer. You might want to have $1,000 or something for earnest money in case that seller wants some earnest money and you're going to need some money for marketing, right, to bring in leads uh, unless you're literally knocking on every door in your city and getting deals that way. That can work. But those are really the only only fixed costs are going to be your marketing and, and some earnest money, right, that you might want to put down. Um, but But that's the great thing about real estate wholesaling is you can get into it without needing a lot of capital like you might for for flipping or for rentals. And so it's a good way to get into working with a title company, running numbers, analyzing a deal. So that's the step-by-step. And I'll go over that one more time so you can have that clear A to Z in your mind and then you can start taking the steps to get your first deal. Advertise and market, analyze, offer, contract, wholesale, and close. Those are going to be your steps. Make that process clear in your mind and then just take the steps necessary. It's There's definitely an education aspect that needs to come in so you know what's going on. You have a contract. You have a title company to work with. But a lot of it is just going to be starting to make offers on properties. You're going to start reaching out to homeowners, making offers, right? If you're afraid to do that, put in much more margin, 35 40%, right? That's not necessarily going to be what you want to do long-term, but it'll at least get you in the game and, and maybe you're in a, it'll put you in a place of comfort enough to where at least you can start making offers if that's an issue. But start making offers, start analyzing deals, running numbers, figuring out the after repair value, your max allowable offer. And you do that consistently enough, you're going to find deals will start coming your way if you get in touch with the right people. So that is wholesaling. That's the process. And it's something that I've been doing for years now and have enjoyed a lot. So I'd recommend giving it a go. If you were in other aspects of real estate and you want to try this out, definitely recommend it. And it's a, it's a great way to get into the game. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Growth Circle Podcast. I hope you found value in this discussion on wholesaling real estate. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Would love to be would love to connect on anything regarding this. And if you found value from it and you'd like to share it with somebody else, feel free. Uh, that'd be great if you could leave us a five-star review and rating on this. Until next time, this has been Lincoln on the Growth Circle Podcast.